Today we are in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11 to verse 31, God's charge against the nation Israel. In this section, God is spelling it out. His case against Judah, it is coming out. The whole problem is spiritual apostasy. The whole problem is not simply anarchy. It is not simply moral awfulness, but it is spiritual apostasy. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fed of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. Isaiah 1 verse 11 God here specifies his charges against his people. He has put his hand upon a definite thing and is going to prove that particular point in which they are wrong. He puts his finger on the best thing in Judah, not the worst. He shows them what is exceedingly wrong. Israel has a God-given religion and a God-appointed ritual in a God-constructed temple, but they are wrong in that which represents the best. They are bringing sacrifices and going through the ritual according to the letter of the law, but their hearts are in rebellion against God. Their religion is not affecting their conduct, and frankly, that is a problem among believers today. Many of us have reached the place where we have a form of godliness, but we deny the very power of godliness. Isaiah 1 verse 12 to verse 13. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to tremble my cords? Bring no more f uh, futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbath, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. You see, even doing that which God has commanded becomes wrong when the heart is not in it and when it does not affect the believer's conduct. The issue was religious apostasy. If the Lord Jesus were to come into your church next Sunday, would he commend you for what you are doing? Would he compliment you for your faithfulness to him? Would he tell you how much he appreciates your attendance at the services and your giving to him? I think not. The one who has feet as banished breasts, whose eyes are as a flame of fire, and from whose mouth there goes a sharp two-edged sword, would not commend us, my friend. I think he would tell most of us that all of our outward form, all of our lovely testimonies and loud professions are making him sick. Would he not tell us that we need to repent and come in humility to him? Surely this is a warning to the churches of Africa and the whole world. Fundamentally, our difficulty today is spiritually, and until the professing church repents and as a genuine revival, there is no hope for Africa and there is no hope for the whole world. Here is Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15 to verse 17. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. 
Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. God says, you are nothing in the world but a bunch of phonies. You come into my presence as if you are really genuine. I want you to be true. Do the things that are important, not simply doing rituals. These verses, my friend, describe the difference between true and false righteousness. The word wash is not a reference to ceremonial washing, but it refers to the cleansing of the heart, which issues in repentance, according to James 4, verse 8. And therefore, it is a plea for a thorough reformation of heart, rather than a call for acts of penancy. Repentance is clearly defined in the passage, in this passage, by the terms put away, turn aside, and then cease to do evil. That is, stop doing evil and go God's way. True righteousness is expressed in five positive exhortations. One, learn to do good, which implies the need for someone to teach God's way. Seek justice means that divine justice must be sought. Then rebuke the oppressor means you must correct and punish the one who does evil. Defend the fatherless and then plead for the widows. Both orphans and widows need help and justice and are the most likely members of the society to be mistreated. But even at this late date, God is willing to settle the case out of court. He says to Israel, don't go into court with me because you are going to lose. The judge has something else to say and we stand amazed and august at what he says next. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, the phrase, let us reason, gives the idea of reciprocity and calls for the people to submit themselves to the law of God and receive divine pardon. Scarlet and crimson both were bright, glaring colors, suggesting how sin glares before God. These figures suggest that even though the nation's sin is open, evident, and glaring, that means blood red, if Israel repents, God will regard them as snow white because of his mercy and forgiveness. Isn't that amazing, my friend? God is saying to Judah, do not force me to render a sentence. Settle your case out of court. I have another avenue to deal with you, that of pardon, that of mercy. In Matthew 5, verse 25, the Lord Jesus said, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. In other words, don't wait until he takes you to court. 
God says that he has a secret formula, a divine magic, a potent prescription, a powerful portion, a heavenly balm that will take out sin. It is not a secret formula like the newest bomb, but it is more potent. You will find it in Isaiah 53 as the one who was more mad, who suffered more, who died differently, who was wounded for our transgressions. Because he paid the penalty, the judge is able now to extend mercy to us. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, keeps on cleansing from all sin. This is wonderful news, my friend. Now, this is God's charge against his people, and this is the basis on which they may turn to him. If they will turn to him, he will preserve the nation. He will give them almost 100 years if they don't turn to him and change their ways. He will send them into captivity. Now, we see here an application of this to our own countries. In many African nations, we see political anarchy, including my own country. It is so obvious to many of us that men cannot solve the problems of our nations, and certainly not the world. Change must happen first at a spiritual level if we would see order from the prince's levels, if we would see social order. The historian Gibbon gives five reasons for the decline of the Roman Empire in his book, The Decline and the Fall of Roman Empire. As the first step toward decline, he lists the undermining of the dignity and the sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. The second step includes higher and higher taxes and the spending of public money for free bread and circuses for the populace. The third was the made crazy for pleasure and sports, becoming every year more exciting, more brutal, and more immoral. The fourth step was the building of great armaments, when the real enemy was within the decay of individual responsibility. The fifth was the decay of religion, Fading into mere form, losing touch with life and losing power to guide the people. You see, my friend, a nation's decline begins with the spiritual apostasy, which is followed by moral awfulness and it results in political anarchy. There is a way out for Africa. There is a way out for your country. There is a way out for you and me. Someone has stated it this way. Philosophy says, think your way out. Indulgence says, drink your way out. Politics says, spend your way out. Science says, invent your way out. Industry says, work your way out. Communism says, strike your way out. Fascism says, bluff your way out. Materialism says, Fight your way out. The Bible says, pray your way out. But Jesus Christ says, I am the way out. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the way out. Get it right spiritually with Jesus. You are out of the qualms. 
after the Lord brings his charges against Judah and offers them salvation and a way out of their trouble, he continues gently with a warning. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 1 verse 19 to 20. You see, the government of God and the grace of God are two aspects emphasized in the book of Isaiah. During the remainder of chapter 1, God is attempting to move Judah back to himself. He is giving the people a warning. Here is Isaiah 1, verse 24 to verse 26. Therefore the Lord says, The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Now, this verse uses three different divine names, particularly when you think of verse 24. There is the word Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one. Then the last name literally means the strong one of Israel, almost quoting Exodus 3 verse 14. Judah's destiny depends upon the people's response to God's offer of forgiving grace. If they are willing to turn from their sin and obey God, he will bestow his favor upon them materially and spiritually. He will protect them from their enemies. Isaiah 1 verse 27 to verse 29 says, Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitent with righteousness. The destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired, and you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. Now, this has to do with idolatry because the idols were placed under the oak trees or the terebinth trees and a garden was planted around them. Isaiah 1 verse 30 to 31 says, For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as timber, the work of it as a spark, both will bend together, and no one shall quench them. Please note that this concluding passage, particularly beginning with verse 21 all the way to verse 31, is a supplementary to the rest of the chapter. It looks forward to the millennial kingdom, when Jerusalem will again be restored as God's faithful city. Verse 24 uses three divine names, Lord, which is Adonai, and then Lord Yahweh, and the Mighty One of Israel, 
All of these refer to the same person of the Godhead, Christ. Converts are literally turned ones or repented ones. And the terebinth trees is similar to the idols in chapter 2 verse 8. My friend, God has been misrepresented in the sense that he has been pictured as losing his temper and breaking forth in judgment. That is never a true picture of God. The fact is that our sin is like a wick. And when we play with the spark of sin, the fire will follow. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap also. God is simply paying sin with what it deserves. But before he has done so, his arms are wide open, inviting all to come and receive mercy without payment. Have you done so, my friend, before God can judge you? Have you responded to the invitation? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.